0: Hello and welcome to The Advice Show. From advising clients to practice management, this podcast will bring you UK and global insights into the financial planning profession. My name is James Fitzgerald, your host and a reporter at New Model Advisor. And today I'm joined by the CEO of National IFA Progeny, Neil Moles. Neil, welcome to you and thanks for joining us.
1: Hi, James. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you for everyone for listening.
0: Now, in this edition of the podcast, we're going to discuss Progeny's latest results, find out how the business has fared through COVID-19, and also get some insight into the financial planning profession, as well as what Progeny is doing to improve the industry through its academies and fee and advice transparency, among many, many other things. So, Neil, just to kick things off, Progeny has had a positive first six of this year. Uh, I think going on the results, revenues up 17%. AUM a- a- rather is up around three hundred and seventy million. What are the reasons behind these numbers this year, and you know behind the success, really?
1: Um, yeah, it has been a it's been a, a good start to the year for uh, for the business and, and the people here. Uh, I think uh, with, with any good start, you have to go back and a little bit further, and you know look at the last six to twelve months. And you know when when the pandemic hit, we we made a very I guess, brave decision at the time to, to invest in the business and, and to try and grow through the pandemic. Mm. Um, so, you know, we recruited, I think 80 people in the last 12 months and, you know, invested a lot in technology in data in our people uh, and our marketing, which, you know, meant that we start this year um, in a, a much better place. So the results that we're now seeing are, uh, are born out of the investment that we made last year um, and hopefully are a platform for continued success.
0: Yeah, perfect, perfect. And you know, going through the results as well, um, I noticed there's a you know a few mentions of acquisitions and your acquisition strategy in there for, you know, this year and next and moving forward. Can you please run me through that that strategy, you know, what your plans are and has COVID posed any, you know, any real challenges to finding and buying new firms over the past eighteen months?
1: Um, no, it's not posed any real challenges apart from you can't shake hands anymore. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can't shake hands on a deal anymore, can you? You've got to trust DocuSign. Um, which is very frustrating, but I think in, in terms of you know, the landscape in the UK is you know we, we live in a very fragmented marketplace you know, in terms of numbers of firms and, and numbers of advisors out there, um, and I think you know the one thing that's that's been staring at us for for a while now is, is regulation and, and mm. the costs of, of operation, whether it be that cost of regulation with levies and, and um, or it's the cost of PI insurance. So I think a lot of people, and especially post-pandemic, are looking at their businesses and thinking, "Is this what I really want? Um, or would I rather be part of something a bit larger now?" So, for us as a, as a business, we we've always had what I've referred to historically as our acquire to hire strategy. Mm. Now, I'm a firm believer that the the best people in the industry end up run, running their own businesses because they they don't want to work for anyone else. I mean, I think I've said yeah. a million times, I'm I'm unemployable. Um, so, you know, they, they end up running, uh, building up their own business and they get to a point whereby they're fantastic financial planners, but they don't enjoy the other parts of, you know, whether it's compliance, operations, marketing, mm. uh, HR. So w- we've always looked at those businesses and said, look, we w- we're happy to invest in you in your business. We'll, we'll acquire the, the business, come and join us uh, and we'll release you back into the wild to go and be a great financial planner, bring on new clients, look after your existing clients and we'll take over everything else. So for us, that's been our typical acquisition and, and you know, why we've been successful in that space. Uh, what we've not done and what we won't do are, are uh, types of acquisition where people just want to ride off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're not a, an acquirer of client books or, or assets in, in that way. We want people who want to join this vision and be part of it for the next few years.
0: Yeah, perfect. How do you see the acquisition market moving forward? I mean, everyone says we're going to go to a you know massively consolidated model. You know, everyone will just eat each other in the end, um, and there'll only be a few IFAs left. How do you see it? What's your opinion? You know, being a national IFA that acts has their own acquisition strategy, which seems to be working.
1: Look, I think there's over five thousand four hundred regulated firms in the UK. Um, I think there's a lot of scope for acquisition. If you look at the numbers of planners in the in the industry over the last five years, it's gone up. Numbers of firms haven't really gone down, despite the, the so-called mass consolidation that's going on. Mm-hmm. So there there are as many not as many but close to as many fantastic new firms that are launching as to those that are being acquired or, or closing down and disappearing. Um, so I think we've got the advent of you know, big investment coming into the sector. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of private equity deals. Um, which some good, some bad, in my opinion, mm. um, for the sector. Um, and I think that will continue because people see value in that in that ability to that buy and build strategy. Are, um, not not one for us in the way that we're doing it or want to do it. So I think the I think the market will remain hot, if that's the right term, mm-hmm. um, in terms of acquisitions. Um, and I think the sector can consolidate and, and needs to, but by the same token, James it also needs to create an environment where. Where new firms can set up, where the barriers to entry are not too high, you know, where levies and fees and PI insurance can be controlled, because some of the best businesses I see are the are the, the new ones, the young ones mm-hmm. that are embracing tech, talking to to the next generation of clients, and we can't afford to lose that as a, as an industry. We need to to help them help those firms get started.
0: Well, you talk about the levy, you know, the FSCS levy's gone you know, ballistic over the past four or five years, and it's going to go up again. Um, the FCA is talking about you know some solutions to that, whether that be increased cap ad, um, or any, indeed a cap ad levy perhaps, but we won't know about that for the next couple of years. Um, PI insurance isn't exactly going down, although I hear it's slightly better this year with some IFAs getting their bills over the last few weeks. Yeah, what can be done to reduce that barrier of entry? Does it need to to new firms, you know, need to join someone like Progeny or, or a similar national IFA to get get in to the industry, or you know, what what's the solution here?
1: Um, first of all, I think if you keep doing the same thing, you can't expect a different outcome, mm. um, and that's what this industry has done for the last 30, 40 years. I you know, hear and, and read many blogs on, on various websites, people whinging about FSCS levies and various other things, but we created it. Mm. You know, that, All those problems, all those levies are only there because of, of past advice failings that this industry has, has, has delivered. Um, so we, we need to stop whinging is the first and we need to build a profession that's fit for purpose of the, in the future hmm. and you know of a, of a trusted advice space whereby you know we can control PI premiums much better through the use of technology um, you know making sure we're managing risks more effectively and um, I think the FSCS levy yes there are many ways you can look at it um, I think if we you know if you look at the government's latest or the, so the regulator's latest proposal it was looking to to pass that onto the CAPAD. Hmm. But that's just another barrier for small firms. Yeah, that's yeah. just another barrier for new, new firms to come in. And you know, the, F, uh, the FCA said in that, in that paper that they wanted firms to fail in an orderly fashion. Well, have you, you have ever watched anyone fall over orderly? You know, you not hit, yet, hit the, no. <laughs> You hit the deck like a you know, sack of spuds, as we say in Yorkshire. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, I'm not sure that's the answer personally. And I think if you increase cap,ad Fine, companies are holding and people are holding more cash on the balance sheet. But I promise it, we'll still go bust. It's the first thing that goes, you know, you don't know. So that's ring fenced, We won't touch it. Mm. The only way to deal with that is for the the FCA to actually, you know, take that cash from you as a deposit. Mm. So it can't disappear and it can be there to ring fence and be used to to help firms fail in that orderly fashion. Um, but no, I'm, I'm absolutely 100% passionate about creating an environment where we can embrace new businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want them all to join large nationals. I don't think that's the answer. I think clients need and should have the ability to choose the size of firm they work with. Um, you know, I think that that competition is is healthy for for the sector. Um, we just need to reduce and remove the barriers and and stop just expecting a different outcome by doing the same thing.
0: Well, you make a good point. I think you're the first person to ever come on this podcast that owns advice business that says, you know, if there's no claims, the, the levy wouldn't be as high. So that's quite refreshing, to be honest. Um, you know, how, how do we stop? It's just Do we need more FCA enforcement? Do they, I mean, they start to crack down a lot more now on, you know, DB advice across the board. Um, does the industry just need to come together, call it out when they see it? I mean, everyone talks about doing it, but, you know, more so moving forward, you bring the claims down, you stop the claims, FSCS levy... Um, it goes down, really, in basic terms.
1: I think one thing I see a lot is, and this is one of my you know, morals in life, to be honest, is to look good you don't need to make someone else look bad. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so when a new client walks through the door, don't spend the first three hours telling them how bad the previous advisor was. Tell them how great you are, because that means that you know, they'll, they'll buy you because you're good. You don't need to put everyone else down. All you're doing is, is building a claims culture. Of saying, "Oh, you need to go back and complain about that they didn't do it properly." Well, okay, if something genuinely bad has happened, absolutely that needs to happen. But in the main, we don't need to do that. We need to create a code of ethics, very much like the accountants and lawyers who will not do that. We will not talk badly about another firm. Mm. It's not what they do. So, if we can remove the, the you know that claims culture from from the profession, then I think it will help. Um, you know, I think, we, and we yeah, we we should call things out. But as an industry, we don't come together. We're happy to be you know, fragmented and separate, and it just doesn't work. So I think it's incumbent on us as CEOs of businesses to get together and come together and say, this is our code of ethics, this is our code of conduct, so how we're going to act going forward. We don't need the regulator to tell us what good looks like, and we don't need a levy to prove it. We have to take responsibility right now for mm. what the future looks like. Uh, otherwise, there won't be a profession in 20 years. It will go and technology will just take over because no one will trust what's going on anymore.
0: Nope, very well said, very well said. And now, to move, just moving on to another point. Now, um, Prodigy launched their academy in 2019, which allows prospective advisors and financial services professionals, uh, you know, to build on their knowledge, you know, in law and tax, as well as financial advice. How has the first year also gone to that academy? You know, what are the challenges and how many people do you want to see go through the academy You know, each year moving forward?
1: So, so far we've got 13 students in the academy. Um, I think what we're what we're trying to do here, and I'm, I've seen various academies around the country, we've looked at them, um, and I see people squeeze through something, like you're squeezing toothpaste out of a tube, it's just mm. too quick. Um, you know, things have to take time. You know, I know there's a sense of entitlement in the world that everything happens tomorrow or the day before, um, which is today, funnily enough. Um, I think yeah, what we we have to get to a point is building a, a process, which for me takes years, not weeks or months. Mm-hmm. So our academy operates over a three-year time frame, um, and we're now building the pre-academy. So we're now building the the school lever to start the academy, so we can take people on a journey from a wealth administrator through power planning and then into you know associate planner. Um, so it, it's, it's built on modules. So people will go through um, you know, different stages of learning. And it's not just about a textbook. And it, it's definitely not about selling. Um, you know, Something that I'm, I'm passionate about at the moment is what our value proposition really is. Mm. Um, and the one thing that, that we are responsible for is you know, controlling and helping with the emotions of clients. So we, we're doing a lot more coaching work with the, the Academy students now. So that, you know, it's not just open and close questions as it used to be 20 years ago. It's, it's genuinely how do you understand the emotions of what's in front of you? Mm, and mm. how can you take away someone someone's fears and, you know, deliver them a plan that, that works for them and give them that confidence? Um, so the, the academy is built over a, a three year module uh, basis. And at the end, effectively, they, they graduate from the, the Progeny Academy and then they move straight into, into professional advice. Mm. Um, our point of difference is that with our students, they will also take a seat in, in our tax team, in our private clients and our corporate team and asset management. We're not building financial planners, we're building professional advisors. So that when they come out, you know, financial planning can be just down here in the detail. Mm. We want it to be a peer, you know, people refer to that as the helicopter view, which always frustrates me, but I think people get what I mean. Yeah. Um, so we're building professional advisors. Um, you know, in terms of how many we, we, we'd, look, we'd like to take in, as many as possible. You know, I don't want to build just an academy business, don't get me wrong, but I would love to see six to 10 students going through that entire process from wealth administrator to associate planner each year. Um, and let's create the planners of tomorrow. Um, and that for me, we're really passionate about it, as you can probably tell. Um, you know, I think we're having a great time with it. The, the students are loving it. Their, the clients are loving it as well. Because clients get to see, you know, within our structure, who their next advisor is going to be when someone retires. Mm-hmm. Because we introduce them through the academy, and you know, we make sure that for five years they work with that client they're going to be taking on. Um, because clients worry about when financial planners are going to retire. Well, let's take that fear away as well. Well, I suppose it gives those
0: clients confidence that you know someone at the business is actually going to stick around and take care of them.
1: Yeah, and they're not just a commodity. Mm. Um, and you know, I think because of the structure that we're building, we, 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 we can see that longevity. Um, you know, and, you know if, if you look at the academy students, they don't just mature from the academy, graduate from the academy, and we say, right, there you go, go and find some new business, crack on. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't. We see them with a the client bank. Uh, and it's, it's our responsibility to build the business and grow the business through marketing and, you know, referrals to make sure we are bringing on sufficient clients to, you know, to, to, to seed them with a good start in that process. And they need to learn and do it themselves, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But it's not just, you know, here you go, let's open the doors, go out and find some clients. If we, again, we're not, we're not a sales culture. We're, we're there to look after those existing clients well, mm-hmm. turn them into advocates, and then they recommend their their friends to us. So it's yeah for for me it's one of our well the, probably one of the bits apart from technology and data that I'm most excited about in in, in this business um, and I would love to see other other firms out there um, really start to to embrace this and look it's an investment it, it's it's not profitable for a second I promise you but th- for me this proves we're trying to create a business that's here for for the long term that you know can last 20 years and beyond because it takes a long time to get this investment back. And in, in a small way, I hope other firms will, will start to do the same. So we create the next generation for this profession.
0: Well, before I move into technology, I was just about to ask too, you know, how hard is it to set up an academy? I mean, you know, should, as you said, should more firms the size of Progeny or even smaller create their own offerings? I mean, that's the only way forward, isn't it? To get more blood in, um, and especially school leaves as well, which you guys are doing.
1: Yeah, look, it's, it's super hard because it's, it's time. It's an investment. You know, most small businesses, aren't profitable to a a point where they can you know they can just spend i don't know hundred thousand pounds a year taking one person through an academy Mm -hmm. that sounds like a big number but when you think about all the time commitments and you know the the time that you're not seeing clients and various other things that you're doing training and development it costs a lot of money but you know there isn't there isn't a solution and you know i think what i don't what, what what i've seen in general out there and i know some firms are doing a great job of bringing through academy students. But far too many times, I've seen the the bigger national firms just squeezing them out like toothpaste. Mm. Um, and it's just, you're not creating professional advisors, you know, chartered financial planners, you're creating a sales force. And we're just going back to where we were 20 years ago if we're not careful. And yeah, and well, it's not the future, that's the past.
0: No, good point. And I suppose the ones you mentioned may be some cert- certain vertically integrated um, restricted firms. So when you say squeeze out, uh, like toothpaste, they're just essentially going into the restricted conveyor belt.
1: Potentially, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's a, there's a whole whole debate we can have around restricted and independent mm-hmm. and what that means. Um, but, I think we need yeah, another yeah, podcast for that, but yeah. Oh, oh we probably need lunch. Yeah. Um, the, <laughs> I think the, the, the reality is what you've got to start with the end in mind and what you're trying to create. You know, and I genuinely feel we're trying to create professional advisors for a professional industry. We're not creating a, a new sales force. Um, if you, if you, if you're committed to doing that, then, you know, I think potentially we can all share resources as well. Mm-hmm. You know, why can't we create a central academy of, of people we can, we can take through a, a solution and then maybe geographically or, or however, we can, you know, we can plug those students out and into a firm. So There are different models. We're just, again, it comes back to that point from a few moments ago. Let's come together to make change, not just do it ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm. No, very good point. Very good point. And- Moving on to tech, because I know you mentioned that before. Um, the business appointed Tim Thompson Rise its uh, chief technology officer, I believe, mid last year um, to drive the digital transformation of Progeny. Can you talk me through this transformation? You know what's involved and where will it take the business moving forward?
1: So, at the heart of, of any business is data, or data, as the Americans call it. Um, and you know, I think. My starting point with data is that data doesn't belong to us. Mm. It belongs to clients. So anything that we are trusted with in terms of data, we have to use to a client's advantage to make the service proposition better, quicker, and maybe even cheaper. Mm. Who knows? Perhaps we shouldn't dare talk about that. Um, so our our journey is to, to make sure that, A, we're holding the right amount of data regarding our clients to deliver a more enhanced service um, to them. And, and we live in an industry that, it's it's a nightmare when you look at the back-office systems because they don't talk to each other, Mm -hmm. Um, you know. So for for us, our our journey was around moving all of our technology into one technology stack, and you can choose whether it's Amazon or Microsoft, it's up to you. But, you know, the stuff that you're using needs to talk to each other, and that sounds very simple. Um, And if, if you then look at, you know, three things, I guess, in business, first of all, you know, we talk about FSCS levies and regulation and PI insurance. Every business I've been into looks at um, you know data in the rearview mirror. You know every board pack that you look at six months out of date by the time you read it. Mm. If you can get data and look at risk in real time, it means you can get in front of problems before they become problems and manage risk a lot better. Which fundamentally means we can start to look at you know working with insurers to say well, we're doing this much better now. Can we have reduced premiums, please?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think it can make us more efficient. Um, and what do I mean by that? We, we as a business, restrict the number of clients each planner can look after. Um, you know, we, we believe one hundred and twenty is the right number, and that's based on our, our time and motion studies that tell us how long it takes to do a piece of work, and you know CPD holidays and, and life is factored into that as well. Um, but I think the more efficient we are, maybe we can move that number to one hundred and twenty-five or one hundred and thirty, um, but still deliver a great service to clients. And so I think doing all of that means we, we become a, a better, better business. We can serve more of the public. You know, there's a growing need for advice. Mm. And uh, you know, if you look at the Australian market with superannuation, you know, the average pension pot in Australia is just over $450,000. You know, if you look at the average pension pot in the UK, what is it, £40,000? Mm-hmm. So we've we've got auto enrolment. Okay, it's not compulsory, but I'm sure once we get a government that's um, brave enough to do it, it will be compulsory. And in 20 years time, we're gonna have similar pension pots to those in Australia. And, and when that happens, there's a huge growing need for advice and there aren't enough of us. So unless we embrace technology uh, and make ourselves, you know, uh, reduce risk and improve efficiency, we're not going to be able to, to serve the needs of the next generation of, um, of the public that need advice.
0: How do your advisors, um, you know, what's, what do your advisors feedback about this, your data led approach and your limiting client numbers?
1: Um, I think they all get the the client limiting numbers um, because you know our our strategy has always been to turn clients into advocates. Mm-mm. They recommend their friends. Well, the more time you spend with clients, the better job you do, the more chance that you've got of happening. Yeah. Um, so you know they they get that. Um, I think they they also you know I think uh, what advisors are not good at paperwork. We all know that. Yeah, you know, that's that's not a problem that started yesterday. It's it started with the turn of the century. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think the, the ability for them to do what they're good at, which is coach clients, you know, deliver cash flow modeling, goal-based planning. If all of the data is in one place and it can just be delivered to them, here you go, guys. You'd have to spend two hours filling your fact findings because it's been done by the client for you. Mm-hmm. Um, then that, that makes their life a lot easier. It means they can do what they're really good at. So it takes time to get people on that journey because initially you're asking them to do a lot of work to cleanse data and put it in the right place. But once it's there, they can see the better outcomes it's delivering for them, and more importantly, for the client.
0: Mm, mm. Have you seen a massive push towards technology from some advisors over the past eighteen months since the pandemic hit?
1: Um, do you know what? I think the advice industry has dealt with it really well. Mm. Um, you know, and uh, I mean, I've, I've said this a few times, but I'll say it again. I think providers have been shocking. Yeah, I really do. You know, we as, as, as an industry, we're the client facing ones. You know, we're the ones who have had to ring all of our clients when the pandemic hit and coach them through, you know, markets falling 10, 20, 30% in a couple of days. Um, you know, we, we were there for them um, and we, we embraced whether it was video conferencing, whether it was the use of portals, um, and then also things like DocuSign. And you know, that's it. So in a way, so let's just take DocuSign, and I'm not promoting it for a second, by the way. Um, you know, We used to post things to clients, hmm. okay? So that used to take, what, snail mail, five, six days to get there and back to you. Um, and then you'd post it off to a provider, they'd do the same and it'd come back. But that creates an expectation as to how long something takes with a client. Now, because we've embraced DocuSign, we upload it to the portal, it comes back 45 seconds later, once they've had a chance to read it and sign it. And then guess what? we print it off and post it to a provider Yeah, because they can't deal with it properly well that's not good enough in this day and age mm. you know we're investing in technology we're investing in, in the future and they just simply haven't I know that uh, and that's legacy providers I think there are some fantastic new ones coming and some great new tech with you know completely paperless end-to-end processing now um but the big boys out there and we don't need to name them I've done a very poor job and mm. you talk to them about their, their new platforms and rap and, and various other things that they call these um, custodians and it's just oh yeah we're doing this and it's like yeah but you're just catching up with everyone else mm. that's not anywhere near in front of where you need to be today that is just the past i'm sorry and if that's all you're going to do then people will select against you with some of the the new challenger platforms that, mm. are, that are coming
0: and I suppose a lot of these providers too. I mean, we were writing stories about some of them again, no, no, not naming names, but some providers last April. Um, when we all got, you know, we're all sitting at home, and some of those issues are still around now. Um, so they haven't been. A lot of them haven't been terribly quick at um, updating their systems, or indeed, you know, implementing new technology. Have they?
1: No, and this is this is perhaps a problem with the you know the the, the, the corporate structure that we that we look at with some of these businesses. The focus on profit. Um, Otherwise investors don't buy the shares, the shares go down. Mm. So they spend their life listening to analysts. And it takes a very brave CEO to step in and say, do you know what, pause. What we've got is broken, guys and girls. We're gonna have to rebuild this from the ground up, start from scratch, which means we're not gonna make any profit for the next two years or a lot less profit. But by the end of it, we're going to be over here and it's going to be amazing. They don't work that way. Mm. We just keep trying to make the same profit each year to pay dividends to shareholders. So I think they need to be brave they need to step out of that comfort zone and say, do you know what, if we keep doing this, it's not the same thing, isn't it? Keep doing the same thing, you get the same outcome. Mm. It ain't gonna change anytime soon. There are technology platforms that are coming that will take over this this sector in the next five to 10 years. And you know the the, the Goliaths that are out there will be sat back and the analysts will be thinking, what's, what's happened, what, what went wrong? Well, your model wasn't fit for purpose and you didn't invest in it. So or if you did, you invested so to catch up and not get in front. Um, so I think, as, as again, we can help that process because we can we can work with the challenger platforms, which I think is fantastic. Mm. Um, let's 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 be brave as an industry. Let's back them. Let's say, yeah, you are the future. I'm sorry, Goliaths over there. We're not going to use your your platforms anymore because you're expensive and not great. We're going to use these ones over here. They might not have a great brand behind them, but they work. Mm. And if we start selecting against the the Goliaths, then so what? you know, everyone else will and they'll have to change because the analysts will tell them to.
0: Mm-hmm. I suppose also, um, you know, clients have a lot to do with this as well. As, they, as clients become, you know, as you, new clients come in, your know, young clients come in, even, you know, the older clients people have had for 20, 30, 40 years that are getting now more used to technology and have expectations about how, how quickly and how easily things should take, you know, when they try something new, especially over the last two years, you know, one would hope that would push providers to, to change. But again... Or indeed, move to you know challenger platforms and providers, but again, you know, watch this space. We'll have to see how that goes.
1: Yeah, let's just hope that people don't just buy the challenger platforms and uh, and, and bury them.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. um, I think we're also in danger of potentially seeing that start to happen in the uh, in the sector now. Um, you know, make sure the the great tech out there can be supported, and we can watch it grow. And we don't just let the uh, the gliders step in and say oh, we'll buy that and we'll just we'll just forget about it.
0: Well, they're more the private equity guys, yeah.
1: Potentially, mm,
0: yeah. <laughs> mm, mm. We shall see. Obviously, there was a flurry of those deals last year, but um, a tiny bit quieter um, over the past few months. But yeah, who knows what's going to happen in that space coming, you know, coming to next year. But um, Neil, just one final question before I let you go. Now, you you yourself been in the media um, over the last year or so, talking about you know providing service which matches the price of advice, um, and, you know, and why some people still don't trust advisors. You know, what is Progeny strategy and how does the industry as a whole improve, you know, price and service transparency?
1: So I think first of all, you you have to de- deliver what you say you're going to deliver. Mm. Um, you know, that's the first part on the trust equation. Um, so, you know, you want to build trust with a client, Say so you're going to do it and do it. Mm. Um, you know, we come across far too many businesses that we, that we look to invest in where, you know, people say they look after 500 clients. Well, frankly, you don't. It's impossible, I've done the maths. Um, you know, it's just, you can't do it, you're not doing it properly. You might send them a valuation, but there's nothing else going on. Mm. There's no real engagement. So I think the first thing we, we, we can do is to to make sure we, we get our numbers right, um, which, you know, means we, yeah, there's only a certain amount of profit you can make if you do this properly. And I think that has to be accepted. Um, so I think we, we have to be strict around what the proposition looks like. Um, I think thereafter you, well, first of all, you have, you have to deliver the service that you say, that you go into. I mean, I think you have to be really careful about what your value proposition is. What are we actually delivering for clients? Um, you know, I think, you know, historically, this sector has been all about picking stocks, picking investments, and saying that we've, we've made you some money. Well, no, no, you didn't. The market went up. Um, you know, so I think value propositions now are looking more at, at goal-based planning, at more at cash flow modeling, and, and more at, you know, taking people's fears away from them um you know and delivering them back in, in hope um and, and sanity of, of a financial a robust financial plan and then reviewing it and you know what we've got to move away from is a is a sector that just chases the new all the time um as one client said to me a long long time ago the older gold um so, you know, let's make sure that we we build a, a profession that's based around servicing existing clients, servicing those that pay us, and not just chasing new business so that we can, you know, generate additional profits. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, that's important. I think one thing that we have seen, um, and anyone who's looked at the Australian market in the last five years has seen a huge royal commission over there. Yes. Yeah. Um, obviously, the, most of the banks now are, are not allowed to give advice. Um, You know, we've had the FASIA regulations over there to improve qualifications. In a couple of years time, you're gonna have to have a degree to give advice. Um, But what they also looked at was something called fee for no service. And, you know, they found that a lot of the the major financial institutions were were charging people and not delivering any service. Uh, And we've got to make sure we don't fall foul of that in the UK. We've got to make sure that if we have a client signed up to an agreement, then we fulfill that agreement, that obligation. Um, and if you follow our model if you look after clients they recommend their friends to you so why wouldn't you why wouldn't you look after those clients properly instead of so just trying to win new ones and end up with 500 clients um, and look there's some amazing models in the UK so this is not everyone um so my, my challenge to the sector our challenge to our business is you know let's look after what we've got let's do it really really well um, and also from a a client perspective you know if if you're out there and you've not seen your financial planner for a couple of years reach out to them this isn't about trying to generate claims for you know not receiving advice and trying to reclaim the fees Mm. this is about making sure that clients understand the service that they should be getting and demand it and that firms and planners deliver what they say they're going to do so this is a time to look at people's client banks for clients to look at their agreements and say right am i getting value out of what i'm doing um, 99% of them will be. I'm sure that's a made-up stat, but um, you know, a lot, the vast majority will be, and, and that's great. Because in, in general, this is a great, great profession that delivers fantastic value and service to to its clients. But in those small numbers of instances that you may, might not be doing that, then just reach out to your clients and start delivering what you say you're going to do. If the value proposition isn't right in the business, then then rip it up and start again. Um, this is the future, not the past. Um, so i think we can learn a lot from what's happened in australia uh, and i would urge anyone to look at the outcome of the the royal commission over there um you know because i know that the sca will be looking at it mm-hmm. they'll be looking at the improvements that they're making around uh, around regulation around fees around banning affairs commissions uh, and also education uh, and standards and you know in the same way we need to learn from what australia have done from superannuation i think there is some good bits to be taken out of the the outturn from the, uh, the royal commission
0: no, very much so. And um, I, I read it in depth about God a year ago now doing an article. And yeah. It's a very interesting reading. So we'll see if I can put it on the um, uh, a link in the podcast somewhere or uh, on the, um, the text that we put out the article. So I'll make sure that is done. But Neil, thank you very much for joining the advice show this week. And thanks for joining us. <laughs>